0: The greatest is world class. I really think so. And the one thing I really like about Pastor Pat is his uh, honesty, is his openness, and uh, his integrity. And, I, and he's really vulnerable um, whenever he speaks to leaders. And uh, it's such a joy and privilege. Let's put our hands together for Pastor Pat as he brings his God's word this afternoon. you know i i want to I want to thank pastor paul i'm I'm telling you I'm falling in love with his spirit uh last time we were together it was so, so busy and so crazy and uh this time's busy too but but uh I'm just becoming more and more in love with your spirit as a father you have a father anointing for this city and God's going to use him apostolically to to bring leaders around you know in the in the law of the jungle what are you laughing? Like? what are you You better watch it. Do you want to see somebody drive crazy? Right there. Um, The law of the jungle is isolation. What do I mean by that? The enemy's number one goal is to isolate. And the law of the jungle is to isolate the weakest or the most tired or the most sickly animal. Because that's what the lion waits to do. That's what the leper waits to do. He watches the herd and says, which one's going to wander off? Because when it wanders off, we're going to pounce. And that's what, when we come together like this, we're two or three. Malachi says that when we're together, God stops and takes notes about us. He, and when we're, when you and I were sharing a moment ago, God just goes, okay, I can be a part of that, but I wonder how many times I've gotten conversations with other ministers and we gossip, prayer requests, and... You know what I'm talking about? Well, you heard about so-and-so. We need to pray for them. You're gossiping. And um, they wonder why their ministries never explode. Because I've learned that if I wouldn't say it in front of that person, I'm just not going to say it. I'm just not going to say it. And God honors that. The power of life and death in the tongue. But when we get together like this, where two or more are gathered, when you live in a place where your life's in danger, Am I right? This is a hero. My life, Birmingham, Alabama, everybody's saved. The whole, the whole, in the United States, everybody's a Christian. They claim to be, they're not, but they all claim to be. But in Pakistan, wow. And I'm, I'm just honored to meet you because you are a hero. Let's give him a hand right now. That's a hero. That's a hero. I don't live under daily threat for making a stand for Christ. I don't live under the fact that someone could come in while I'm meeting and murder us because what what everyone's calling the Arab Spring is really the Israeli winter. The surrounding of Israel is taking place right now. That's what God spoke to me when I was praying. He said, the world is calling it the Arab Spring, but it's now the Israeli winter. It's going to get very cold and isolated in Israel. You understand that, right? And, uh, I've got to teach something and I didn't know what I was going to share till I got up. I did not know till a few minutes ago. I've wrestled it this afternoon because I want to make sure that the valuable time we have together that I, I count it such an honor to be with you. It's her birthday. It's her birthday. She's, she's, uh, 12. And, um, how old are you today? 16. Can you drive in Singapore at 16? Really? Come see us in Alabama. You can drive when you're 15 in Alabama. You can drive a tractor. And uh, you, really, you really can. Fifteen years old, you can drive a tractor. In Houston, you can drive a truck when you're one. And, uh, and so she's from Texas. And, uh, and so, but happy birthday. Thanks for celebrating your birthday with us. Come on, let's give her a hand right now. I would sing Happy Birthday to you, but you don't want me to. It'll leave bad memories. And uh, can we have fun? Can can I can I teach on something the Holy Spirit led me to just a moment ago that I, my I don't think anybody on this team has ever heard me share about. In fact, I've only shared about it one time. But the Lord just led me there just now. All of a sudden, out of nowhere. You know, William Booth said, "The greatness of man's strength is determined by his measure of surrender." I love William Booth. He's one of the fellows that I'm drinking coffee with when I get to heaven because there will be Starbucks in heaven. There will be. I don't know why there's not one in this room, though. And uh, I need to talk to my team. Hey, I I haven't had a chance to introduce our team to you, but I want you to know who they are because they're heroes. These guys uh, face difficulties because they have stepped into full-time ministry. Friends of theirs they graduated with high school with or... Out doing their thing, partying in college, but these these guys said, "You know what i 'd rather die for a generation, and I believe that the blood of the martyrs that runs in the streets runs in their veins because these are these are champions, and i 'm very proud of them because they did fly thirty eight hours. The only way we could get a good good price on a ticket was to spend twelve hours in Seattle and uh, Bo is actually from Seattle so, Or, or from, from Washington So he was able to get them some rest but, but let me introduce him to you Can I do that? This is Tracy Tracy is the lead singer of Through the Veil Our band that travels the nation Ministering Tracy would you stand up and tell everybody hi Go ahead and greet them This is Ashley Ashley is brand new to our school of ministry She's from Houston, Texas I just spoke in her church last week, and we had an outpouring of God, didn't we? It was it was crazy. It was slap your mama stuff right there. It was. I mean, I just my mom would have been there. I'd have hit her in the mouth. And so, um, this is Ariel. Ariel is also one of the lead singers in our band, and she is from Colorado, and where they had two inches of snow today. You didn't know that, did you? Actually, you did. How did you know that? You, you didn't watch the news, and. Uh, Then we've got Bo Steele. Bo Steele's dad is one of the guys that uh, does the big, he's a big beast. He's a freak of nature and uh, he's one of my dearest friends in the whole world and his dad travels blowing things, you know, breaking things and breaking bricks and power team stuff and uh, I've known Bo since he was a little boy and uh, he is also a world class drummer has played with different symphonies and other stuff, and he could be traveling the world with a with a rock band right now that tried to get him to join, but he said, you know what, I just want to go t- change a generation. and I'll never forget many years ago when he was in junior high, uh, we talked about someday he would be a forerunner, and I'm just very, very proud of him. And uh, and then uh, go ahead and greet everybody, Bo. I don't hang out with little, little sissy people. I hang out with cool people, and... Uh, <laughs> And I mean, and, and then and then here's Ross. Ross is from Dallas, Texas. He uh, worked in an orphanage in the Philippines, and uh, joined our school. His brother is the youth pastor, uh, uh, assistant youth pastor at Bill Johnson's Church uh, in Redding, California. And uh, Ross is a gift from God, and uh, he is uh, he's God's doing a really cool thing in him. Ross, go ahead and greet everybody. Would you give all of them a hand? Would you give Jesus a hand?
1: Would you give me a hand?
0: (laughs) That was funny. I said the last thing I said was give me a hand and you didn't. Alright. I want to talk about the number one battle in leadership. You would think it's tiredness. Getting enough time during the day. You would think that maybe it's thought life. Integrity. Boy, that's that's a tough thing. That's not the number one battle. You you might even, when you're married, uh, you'll think it's getting time with your family or with your spouse. that's a war. It's a battle. But it's not the number one thing. The number one battle in ministry you're going to find in God's Word. In fact, you're going to find it in the most well-known missionary in the Old Testament. The number one battle is Insecurity. Wondering, am I good enough for God to use? It's that failure spirit thing. So I'm going to talk about what I call the Jonah factor. What is the Jonah factor? So I hope you're taking notes. They're going to turn PowerPoint. Do we have PowerPoint for this? It's so crazy because, because literally I've shared this one time. I don't even know where this PowerPoint came from. I said, Ross said, "Do you want me to go see if we have PowerPoint for this?" And and he, and he did, and we do. It's right there. If you can't see it, it's right here. So let me teach you about the Jonah factor. It's what I call the agony of victory and the thrill of defeat because what do you mean you've got that wrong, Pat? No, no, I don't. I really don't. Um, Because it's in the victory that we get comfortable and the enemy attacks us. It's in the defeat that because of who we are, we rise up. I found out when I have too many victories, I get soft. David had too many victories. Second Samuel chapter eight talks about all his victories. He beat the Moabites, the Hittites. He had twenty years worth of victories. He beat the Moabites, the Hittites, the Amalekites, the Bud Lights, the Millerites, all the lights. <laughs> but then, when you get over to Second Samuel the eleventh chapter, he threw everything away, and people remember the defeat more than they remember the victory. But it's after he rolled around on the floor when the baby died that David decided to get back up and go back to work and shake off his failures. See, I want to teach you because Saturday we have this huge event and you're going to work. I'm more impressed with you as a student uh, ministry team, as a leadership team, than any group I'm around. And sometimes I'm around big groups. Sometimes I, I speak at the National Youth Leaders Conference. I, they always have me speak on the altar call, how to give an altar call. They have me speak on the call of God. and and But as i was sitting over there i'm so i'm so blown away by the people god lets me hang out with and uh, i i kind of get overwhelmed by by your greatness and i was on the phone with pastor young today and uh, i told him when i saw him on saturday i'm going to give him a big kiss and he kind of chuckled weirdly it was kind of like <laughs> i said now you get ready because when i see you i'm going to run up and give you a big kiss and he goes oh, okay <laughs> I don't think he appreciated it. He loves me. I make him laugh. We have fun together. But let me teach this session. And tomorrow night, because there'll be more students here, we'll probably do more of a service type teaching more for them. But I want to talk about you tonight. I want to talk about that you're not an oops. You're not an accident. You're not here by chance. That if... The Bible says in Psalms 139, He's written out our life. And Malachi says He's still writing the scrolls. That means there's first, second, and third shats line. The Bible's not complete yet. Meaning there's books with your name on it. He's still writing. It's the never ending. We can't add to the book because how many of you know if we do, we're in in danger of hell's fire. And a lot of people are doing it. The Mormons have tried to add to it. In fact, they've changed their book, the Book of Mormon, 666 times. But see, what you've got to understand is God says, your life is the Word. He says, I'm writing about you. I'm dreaming dreams about you. He's got major plans for you. He's got all this stuff. At 3.30 this morning, 4 o'clock this morning, I woke up because of jet lag. You know, and isn't that the worst feeling? You're tired but you can 't sleep anymore and and so you wake up and you're, and, you're, and i 'm just dreaming and i 'm weeping before the lord and i 'm laying on the floor and i 'm looking out my window in the hotel and i 'm praying over singapore and, and i 'm going, God, do something so massive in this city, uh, Lord, invade the the Hindu temples in this city, invade the Buddhist temples in this in this city, do something, go to the mosque, Lord, and pour out your spirit, but let me talk about you because. Leaders are great at leading and they're great at speaking and even dreaming, but we're not great at sitting on the sidelines. We're not great when uh, we, we have to fight that flesh and beat that flesh down like Paul did. And the best thing you could ever do is read Romans 5, 6, 7, and 8 periodically. You should read that at least once a month. The, those chapters, 5, 6, 7, 8, because it's all about the flesh. It's all about how to defeat the man that tries to rise up. That The two people that live inside of you, the flesh man, the spirit man, they're always at war. It's Jacob and Esau at war inside of you all the time. Which one's going to come out first? Which one's going to grab a hold? And I battle that constantly because there's days where I'm just not a very good christian i'm not what i need to be now i love jesus with all my heart and i don't run out and sin but there's days where my attitude wins or my tongue wins or i just kind of and i have to go and apologize i i have found out if you're really a great leader you should live your life never having to say you're sorry but because you're a great leader you're going to say you're sorry a lot are you with me i walk up to my team and go boy i blew it on that one i was just wrong about that i'm so sorry Because I never want to be that leader that is better than the apology. Because an apology opens the door to the heart. Are you with me? I'm reminded of Micah chapter 2. And I read this sometimes when, when I get a little weary. In verse 13 it says, The one who breaks open the way will go before them. Listen to me. You cannot break open the way. You can't make doors open for yourself. He has to do it. If God doesn't do it, then it really wasn't that great. But I read this, and there's a reason why I'm reading this, and we're going to go to Jonah. We're going to read about Jonah. You kind of got that with the whale, the worm, and the fact that I call it the Jonah factor. Now watch. The one who breaks open the way In Micah chapter 2 verse 13 it says The one who breaks open the way will go up before them They will break through the gate and go out And the king will pass before them The Lord at their head This is the prophecy of him who goes in front of us How many of you know God always goes in front of you? Are you still with me? But I want you to look at a verse That we'll go to And it's not in the powerpoint So don't don't search for it But uh, I'm going to go ahead and read Out of the book of Jonah Everybody open your Bibles to Jonah Remember where it's at? It's Amos, Jonah, Obadiah. Look at Jonah and go to the very end of Jonah, the very last two verses. Oh, really, the last verse. It says this in the book of Jonah. And again, I'm calling this the Jonah factor. The Jonah factor is what can harm this coming Saturday for chicken out. Because it really isn't how well you speak or how well you lead your cell ministries that matters. It's what you do up here and in here. It matters. Do you know who's going to be honored more than us in heaven? The little old lady that spent hours praying for you and I. The ones we never met. There's going to be special crowns in heaven for those. And you know why you haven't died yet? Because the Bible says we get five different crowns, right? That we get to throw at His feet as a dowry. You're, do you know why you haven't died yet? while you're still on this earth is because your crown will either be too big or too small, meaning either you got a big head or you're too insecure. When we get to, when we get ready to die, it's when the crown will fit, because God's already always already measured the end of your life. He's already measured. The Bible said that Solomon, He's already measured how big the crown will be for you. And I hope that when I get to heaven it fits and I'm able to throw it at his feet. But, but follow me. Look what it says in Jonah chapter 4. Wouldn't you hate for this to be your legacy? Here's Jonah's legacy. God picks Jonah to go win an entire nation. hundred and twenty thousand people. In Bible days that was a lot of people. You got to understand in Bible days that was like a third of the earth. And so what you've got to see right here is this is pretty powerful. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh? What are you you talking about, Pat? He goes on to say. In which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left hand and also many animals. God says, am I not concerned about the city? Should I not be concerned about that great city? Understand, we serve a God that does not see churches, but He sees cities. Are you with me? He doesn't see Cornerstone. He doesn't see First Anglican. He doesn't see Calvary Church. He doesn't see Grace Church or whatever all these churches are. He sees one church One city. One gathering. That's why all the New Testament letters were written to to the church at Singapore. To the church at Philippi. To the church at Ephesus. So when we gather together, and this is what is lost in the body of Christ, is understanding the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is where? What did Jesus say? It's in you. We are His kingdom. But now I'm going somewhere. But the number one spirit that attacks leaders and can stop them in their tracks and stop your cell group from growing and stop you from being fantastic and cause you to somewhere along the line get offended or get hurt is a spirit of failure or insecurity. How do we guard that? I'm here to build you up tonight. I'm not here to beat you down. I'm not going to make you get on your face and weep, and, uh, although we might do that. Um, what is the number one thing that stops great leaders? Do you know what it hits us the most? Young in ministry and old in ministry. That's when that spirit attacks us. Because you there's a period of time in ministry, I'm there right now, where we're pretty secure. I know who I am. At a certain age, you kind of figure out who you are. I know who I am. I know my weaknesses, I know my strengths, I know my failures, I know how to watch for them. But when I'm young in ministry, boy, that thing would attack me. Galatians 5, 7 says you were running a good race. Who cut in on you? Have you got that verse? Who kept you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. What do you mean, Pat? Pat? Paul said in Philippians 3 verse 14, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Do you understand? Just you being here tonight and after you've been in service uh, uh, all day yesterday, just you being here tonight puts a bullseye on your back by the enemy. Because if he can't make you sin, he'll just make you tired. He'll just wear you out. That's what the Bible says in Daniel. It says the enemy will wear you out in the last days. That's why we're so tired uh, on Sundays and not Saturdays. We're like Gideon's army. Uh, It says they were fainting, yet they were pursuing. And so when I was standing over there, the Lord began to speak to me. He said, this is what I want you to teach on. And I said, Lord, the Jonah factor. Yes, the Jonah factor. What causes a person to hide in a well? What causes a person to become racist? that's what Jonah was. Jonah was actually a racist. How I many of you know the only color that matters is the color red? For the blood of Jesus. And so what you got to realize, in fact, when I get to heaven, I, I think God's going to just kind of mess mix up the races to make people mad. I think that all the white people will be black. I can't wait. I am going to kill you guys at basketball. I'm gonna, bam! I'm going to slam on you. Um, stop! Stop! Look at me. I'm not white anymore. And... And I think that Chinese people or Asian people will be Mexicans. So just get ready. I'm just telling you. It's going to be awesome. That's what I told my daughter. But there's a bullseye on you. And there's a difference between image management and authentic living. Are we the real deal when we walk out there? Do we invade space? Do demons dive out windows when we walk in? is there something about us Did I ever tell you the story about the time that Ben Ragsdale used to be our youth pastor uh, of my church, but he came here with me one time. In fact, he led his dad to the Lord, in the middle of the night here on the phone that he had been praying for his whole life. And I'll never forget Ben and I went for a walk one time and there's a, there's a Hindu temple, a couple streets down back there, you know where it's at. So Ben and I were just went for a walk one day and, and there's a Hindu temple. And this really happened as you know, they, they have tourists that come and check it out and all that kind of stuff. And, and, uh, and Hindu temples freak me out; they're just weird. And and uh, but I'll never forget. I was like Ben, look at that. This you know Hindu temple. I said like, that's that's wild looking. And there's people checking it out, and there's people walking around with their sheets on. And um, and every time I would go to step on the parking lot, because we were going to walk up and look at it. Every time I would go to step, all the Hindu priests... That were inside the temple because you could see inside would stop what they were doing and turn and look at me <laughs> with anger. It was the weirdest thing. So I would go to step onto the parking lot to go up, and they would just, and then I would just step back, and they would go back to what they were doing. It got kind of fun. <laughs> I'm not joking because <laughs> every because I would just stand there and look at them, and then I'd go, and they turn around looking. And I go. So after a while they just kept going <laughs> Yeah, you need to live up here. It's fun. But I realized there's something in me, Sabrina, that makes the forces of darkness get angry. Because I'm a temple, not a shack. I took the for sale sign down, I've been bought with a price. There's something in me that should invade darkness. Are you still with me? But how many times has insecurity attacked great leaders? What keeps us from being great when we're gathering our students? How many times does our flesh try to rise up? When you're doing your cell group, it's where that spirit comes up that says, do you like me? Are you, are you pleased with me? And most great leaders battle this spirit. Most of the ones God gets ready to raise up has to at some point murder the, 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 the bad side of you. Murder that spirit that says, look at me, see me. I want to be this person. Why doesn't anybody ever give me recognition? Why isn't anybody cheering for me? Why does anybody think I'm great? And so, Psalm 16 verse 5 says, Lord, You've assigned me my portion and my cup. You have made my lot secure. Listen to me. Your greatness is not something you possess, but the fact that He has chosen to put His Spirit inside of you because you're His child. You are great. You are on God's map. He knows who you are. But follow me. He is more concerned about cities than whether or not He can, should be able to Constantly tell you you're great, and some of you, people's tongues have destroyed you. People, Proverbs eighteen twenty one: the power of life and the death is uh, the tongue is the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Do you know that Jesus had every right to be insecure? Jesus should have been the most insecure person that ever lived. Well, I, I can prove it to you. Think about it. Look at his birth. He had that stigma of unwanted pregnancy. His parents weren't married. There was no room for him. He was born in a stable with manure. We like to make the stable look really pretty. It's like got a star over it and everything. But it was a shack. We're like, oh, look at this stable. There's a little lamb. There's a cow smiling at Jesus. he has this neat little thing that he's laying on in hay and he's a scarecrow from Wizard of Oz and and he's, he's laying there and he's wrapped perfectly in swaddling clothes. You know what swaddling clothes was? Do you ever figure out what swaddling? It, it was strips of linen torn from an old sheet. That's not the place for a king to be born. And then we try to look, but the, 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 and then there's the wise men standing off. The wise men didn't come until two years later. I don't even know what they're doing at the manger scenes. That's the weirdest thing. It's like there's the wise men standing there. It's like that's not in the Bible. They came and knocked on the door two years later. Am I right? Jesus had every right to be insecure. The King of all. Look at Isaiah 53. You only really know who Jesus is. Isaiah 53 will tell you he was ugly. So the Bible says his appearance. So so his birth was bad. And his appearance was was bad it says who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed he grew up before like a tender shoot like a root out of a dry ground he had no beauty here's Isaiah prophesying Jesus he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him remember he rode a donkey when he rode in the week before he was crucified he should have rode a white horse that's what I'd have done because that meant war but he rode a donkey. You know what I want to be? I want to be like that donkey. Tied to a post waiting on him to ride in on me. When, when Jesus rode in, and they were throwing the palm branches down, and they were declaring, Hosanna, Hosanna, the, the Savior is here. Uh, you know what? That donkey didn't think anybody was praising him. That donkey was like, Donkey from Shrek. <laughs> donkey. He's <laughs> like, Yeah. Look what they're saying to me, Shrek. They're loving me. No. And donkey just did his job. I want to be the donkey the glory of the Lord can ride in on. I want to be the stagehand that can open the curtain and say, look at God. God said to me one time, he said, Pat, if they can see you, then they can't see me. Get out of the way, Pat. Let my life. But here's Jesus. Jesus battled. So I'm, I'm going to talk about the Jonah factor in just a moment. I'm going to go deep in just a moment. But but what does it go on to say? He had no beauty uh, uh, or majesty. Nothing in his appearance we should desire. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows, familiar with suffering. Jesus was a sufferer. We don't know what happened between the age of 12 and 30. Was he picked on by his brothers? Was he bullied? We don't know. Did he intercede for Joseph to live? But Joseph somewhere died between twelve and thirty. That's why on the on the road to Emmaus. You know who Jesus went to see very first when he resurrected? Anybody know? What is who? Who were they? Somebody tell me. Who was the first people Jesus went and saw when he when he rose from the dead? The, the two men on Emmaus, right? Do you know that one of the men that he went to was, was Joseph's brothers? So in other words, when you finally resurrect and you get free, the first people you need to go let know you've got free is your family. The man that most likely raised him after Joseph died, because we believe Joseph probably died. Do you know that Jesus had four brothers, one of which did not get saved till he died on the cross? Or did not believe in him, rather? What do you mean? So in other words, Jesus' own brothers didn't believe in him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows. Like one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised and esteemed him not. It says that people literally walk by Jesus and they're like, oh, did you know that's in the Bible? So Jesus had every right to be insecure, but he wasn't. Why? Because he knew who his dad was. I forget Abby coming from home from school this last year. And one day, and she's gorgeous. She's a little cheerleader. She's a little gymnast. and um, She's just beautiful. But one day, Abby comes home from school, and she looks at me, and she goes, do you think I'm pretty? Or That's not what she said. She said, Daddy, do you think I'm ugly? And I went, what? I snatched her up. I just happened to be standing in the the bedroom. Karen and I were standing in in the master bedroom. And and, uh, Abby just asked me. And I snatched her up and set her on that bed. And I said, Never ask me that again. You're the most beautiful little girl I've ever seen in my life. And I reached up and I laid hands on her. And I said, I break that spirit off you that makes you think that. And now... She'll tell you she's pretty. In fact, she's a little cocky about it. I mean, she knows she looks good. She's like, hmm. Jesus had every reason to be insecure when he was growing up. Most likely Joseph died somewhere. When he got in ministry, he gets rejected by the very people he created. He got rejected by the religious leaders that should have been saying, yes, you have the anointing. Even his own family didn't understand him. They came and knocked on the door. One place where he's standing he goes, "Hey, mom, why aren't you outside?" And Jesus goes, "Where? Who's my mother and my brothers? I'm about my father's business." His own family didn't even get who he was. In fact, his mom walks up to him and says, "Hey, look, we're out of we ran out of wine. I need you to be God." Can you see him going, "Mom, it's not time yet." alright can you see her look at him going Jesus you need to create some wine ok you know the Jews believe the word wine means joy and that whole chapter is really applicable to, to marriage that, that God loves to restore joy to he'll, he'll, he'll save joy the best joy for the marriage feast that in my, my, my marriage God has fresh wine that he'll turn from water to wine all the time fresh joy for my marriage so he's rejected I mean there's a reason why I'm sharing all this with you because we're going to Jonah but you know what I've learned whoever carries the flag in the battle gets shot first reminded of Isaiah 6, 8 when he said then I heard the voice of the Lord saying who shall I send and who will go for us and remember here's Isaiah he said I'll go you know who God is using right now the ones that are simply saying I'm available watch because I'm going somewhere But every single leader faces seasons where they wonder if they're really making a difference. Do you ever, when you walk out of your cell ministry, wonder, am I making a difference? You ever felt that way? Boy, I do. Especially junior hires, because they're just like... (laughs) They're just just scattered. They're like, hey, would you read that scripture? Can we go watch TV? I mean, want to play a video game? God loves me. Awesome. Let's get into the Jonah factor. In Jonah chapter 1, it says this, looking at verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. I love that right there. Again, not only does your sin come before God, but the wickedness of a city comes before God. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Psalms 30 verse 6 says this, When I felt secure, I said, I will never be shaken, O Lord. When you favored me, you made my mountain stand firm. But when you hid your face, I was dismayed. The worst thing that can happen to anyone that wants to be used from God, by God is to feel like God no longer looks upon them. Let's talk about the Jonah factor. What happens when a leader sees great victory but decides to walk in a fence? I have learned I have to live my life not looking in the mirror but looking at a telescope. What do you mean, Pat? How many times as a leader do we stand in front of the, win- the, the mirror and we basically say, mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the greatest preacher, the greatest leader, the greatest cell group leader of them all? And God's saying, get out of the mirror and start looking out a telescope. Start looking out the window again. Because it's not about us. It's not about the image that we represent. It's about who He's called us to. Do you believe that? Would you give Him a praise offering tonight? Then we know what happens to Him. We know that Jonah goes and jumps on a a ship. And and I have found out when someone is walking in disobedience in any area of their life, they're going to cause storms for everybody else around them. So all of a sudden, he's floating in the ship and the storm comes up. And I mean, it's a horrible storm. And all of a sudden, the captain, a heathen, gets a realization. Somebody, do you know why I believe that is? I believe that on that ship... Everything was perfectly sunny around it, but right over it, there was a storm. That's the only way he would have figured out somebody sinned. Somebody's just been disobedient. I believe that when we rent the video on this in heaven, because I'm going to go to the video store in heaven, because I want to see all the cool stuff. I want to see the walls of Jericho go, you know what I'm saying? I want to see David dance in his underwear through the streets, because I do that at home. And, and, uh, (laughs) there's a lot of things i want to when i you know that I, I want to see in god's word i want to, i want to see them holding up uh, Moses' arms and every time they dropped it the battle started, you know they start, like, oh, I mean, they start losing oh it's like it's like you know what i did at the hindu temple it was awesome This kind of thing there's so much i want to see in god's word but i honestly believe that the reason why they knew there was sin on the ship is because the storm was over them and nobody else all around him is all these other people fishing, and they're like, dude, it's like there's a storm just over that boat. So the captain says, somebody in here is disobedient. And Jonah comes up and says, throw me overboard, throw me overboard, throw me overboard. And they threw him overboard, and the storm stopped. We all know the story, right? Then what happens? Then, next thing you know, he's in the belly of a whale. This isn't some just allegory that God created to try to show about obedience. This really happened. This isn't a fairy tale. This is the number one argument that secularists will use that God's Word is just a bunch of allegories. They'll say there's no way there's a whale big enough that could swallow a man and he could sit inside of it. You haven't thought of my God and so we know the whole story. He gets in the well. He's in the belly of the well for three days. That alone will tell you that most likely when he got spit out, when he rode, he's the only person to ever serve some throw up, some regurgitation. All of a sudden the well just goes, dude, you're making me sick. How are you going to make a well sick? Can you see the well going, well, not feeling too good. think I swallowed some disobedience feeling a little rumbly and here comes the white albino of all prophets because the very acids in the stomach of that whale would have turned him so white his hair went from being brown to white the brother comes out looking like scary I'd have got saved in Nineveh too if that come walking up Either that or they're like dude. Alright, I'll get saved Just go bathe <laughs> Then Jonah 3 verse 6 comes And when the news reached the king of Nineveh He rose from his throne Took off his royal robes Covered himself with sackcloth And sat down in the dust Then he issued a proclamation This is after Nineveh gets saved It's the only entire city saved in the Bible By the decree of the king of his nobles and his nobles, do not let any man or beast, herd or flock, taste anything, do not let them eat or drink, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God, because Jonah says God's going to destroy your city. He was sitting there today, and all of a sudden it popped up on his iPad that you are all going to hell, that you're all a bunch of heathens. The king radically gets saved. That's called influence. When you start touching the topper, the top escalon of leadership and government, watch, and it's been prophesied. Listen, I can't wait to sit down with our president and tell him, protect babies. Protect marriage. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent with compassion and turn from His fierce anger so that we will not perish. Folks, you really have not had a rough day as a leader till you find out your whole city is going to be destroyed because of your leadership. And when God saw what they did And how they turned from their evil ways He had compassion on them And isn't that cool? I love this right here Because that's God's love language Compassion And did not bring upon them the destruction He had threatened What are you talking about Pat? Now watch because I'm going somewhere So now look what happens to Jonah Jonah has the greatest day of ministry. He is the greatest evangelist that ever lived. He has lived through the storms. He has suddenly lived through the whale. He has lived in the belly of a whale. I'd been writing books about that. I'd been making a million dollars quick. Let me tell you about my experience in, in the whale. I mean, I mean, I would have been, I mean, seriously, I'm a bragger, so I'd have bragged on it. I was just like, oh, dude, let me tell you what I did. You know what? You ain't bad. You ain't bad. I lived under the sea for three days. And every 20 minutes, the whale would go up and through his blowhole, I'd lean up and go, But then look at Jonah chapter 4. But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. He just had an entire city saved. And suddenly he gets mad. What in the world? How do you have an entire city saved and then suddenly get mad? How do you have how do you buy four thousand or six thousand or whatever it is dollars worth of chicken and then go home that night and get discouraged because it happens to the best leaders? I didn't get attacked when I only had a few show up for an event. I got attacked when I'd have hundreds show up for an event as a youth pastor. It's the weirdest thing. The agony of victory, the thrill of defeat. I'd have great victories and I would get discouraged. I'd come home after a great camp. Look what it says. He prayed to the Lord, O oh Lord, this is not what I said when I was still at home. That is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. He didn't like Nineveh. The very people God called him to, he didn't like. They were heathens. I knew that you're a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it's better for me to die than to live. The Lord replied, "Have you any right to be angry?" Jonah. Jonah went out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he now stop right there. Do you have any right to be angry? That's a question you better st- uh, ask yourself every time your flesh rises up. Do you really have a right to be angry? Because next time you think you have a right to be angry, live in his world. That's when you have a right to be ticked off. That's when it's real easy to hate Muslims. And you have to guard your heart from that, don't you? What are you talking about? Look what he goes on to say. Jonah went out and sat down in a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a vine and made it grow up over Jonah. So he's got the whale. He's got the weed. So God provided this giant weed to grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the vine. But at dawned the next day, God provided a worm. This is a crazy story. <laughs> I'm telling you, this is one of those coolest stories. Most people don't ever read it. They only hear about the whale. But he's got the whale, he's got the weed, and he's got the worm. The three W's. WWW.Jonah. Watch. <laughs> but at dawn the next day, God provided a worm. Now, this is a big worm. That's a crazy story. I'm renting this. Which chewed the vine so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. Jonah was a big baby. Watch. He wanted to die again. And said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you have a right to be angry about the vine? He's mad about the whale. He's mad about the people getting saved. He's mad about everything. I do, he said. I'm angry enough to die. That sounds like something my mom would say. You make me so mad, boy, I just won't die. But the Lord said, you've been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend it or make it grow. Oh, 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 er, stop the car, put the brakes on. We get mad about something we have no power to make happen. God says, you're getting mad about something you didn't cause to happen. If that your cell explodes to hundreds or it runs two, God says, it's not your concern. Do what I tell you to do. And if it grows... It grows. But just like you can't take credit when it explodes, you better be careful taking a failure spirit when it doesn't. It sprang up overnight and died overnight, but Nineveh has more than a hundred. There's that last verse. The last scripture. God ends Jonah with a question mark. The whale, the weed, the worm, and the question mark. I love that. This is the only book of the Bible that ends with a question mark. Why? Because I got what you got to understand is God says, shouldn't I be concerned about the city? Write this down. Number one, I'm gonna hurry. Compassion and justice is God's love language. Those are two things that God operates with: compassion and justice. That's what he said in his word. God is all about compassion and justice. Number two, do you really have a right to be angry? Proverbs 3 says He directs your path. As long as I'm walking in... And you know what? Let me just say this. When God closes a door or a door closes, what we don't understand in ministry especially, rejection most of the time is protection. When God doesn't open a door up for you or make somebody like you or whatever it is, never take it as rejection but realize that rejection when you're walking pure is protection. You may not understand why a certain group of people don't want to be your friend. Or how come I never? God is protecting you from those people. Because I travel the nation, sometimes I'll be like, Lord, I'd really love to go preach at that church. And it doesn't happen. Now he usually gives me what I ask I don't want quail I want manna And God still knows the recipe to manna And he knows that I won't hoard it And I won't try to hide it Because it will turn to worms But what you have to understand is I have learned that When God doesn't open a door I ask him to Rather than getting offended I go wow He was keeping me from something Thanks dad Thanks father Thanks for guarding me. So rejection is not rejection when God plans on it being protection. Are you with me? So He says to him, "Do you have, any, do we have any right to ever be angry?" So God asked him twice. You didn't make it grow. You didn't make it die. That's what He said about the ministry, about the vine. The vine, the vine always represents, always represents the ministry we're involved in in God's Word. He is the vine, we are the branch. When we stay plugged into Him, we are grafted to Him. Romans 13. So understand, anytime you see vine uh, in the Word of God, it represents the very nature of God and the anointing that He's put in our life. Are you still with me so far? Can I teach like this tonight? Is it okay if I do this and we don't do an illustrated sermon, but I just kind of pour into you tonight? Because you're the ones on the front lines. You're the ones that are getting students in the cell ministry and you're the one that's over different areas and different groups and you have to sacrifice all the time. But I want, you, I want you to understand, you're not going to make it grow. Now, do I believe in planning? Do I believe in branding a vision? Do I believe in advertising? Do I believe in texting? Do I believe in emailing and Facebooking? I believe in all of that. I'm a PR guy. But you know why I was able to resign my church and... and the, the person over my denomination said to me, are you crazy? It's the fastest growing church in the city. Da, 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 da. And, I was like, and I looked at my wife and I said, it must be God because it's crazy. Because I know I didn't make it grow. I was just a keeper of the farm. I'm a tender of the vine. I just stir the soil. That's my anointing. I'm not the... What did Paul say? I planted. Apollos watered. And God made it grow. You can't make anything grow. You know what I found out? Number three, it's easy to get offended when people don't know your war. I think that Jonah was so lonely. He got offended that they didn't realize. I think he thought they should have been giving a parade for him. Here's this great prophet. Build me a building and take an offering. But you know what they did? They fell down before God, not before man. They they rented their clothes. They laid in the dust. They did not eat until God had compassion on them. I think Jonah's going, Hey, I'm the one that preached. They didn't even look at Jonah. They heard his words but looked at God. Are you still with me? And God will allow you. Remember what happens? It says He caused a vine to grow up. I mean that should have freaked him out right there. He's already rode in a whale, then a weed. God says I'll call I'll cause the ministry to grow up around you to shelter you. Why? Because listen to me, He will allow you to rest for a season. You're supposed to rest as a leader. Write that down. God gave him a good night's rest. But then number five. But then comes the worm. The worm is what God sends in the morning to get you ca- get you to catch a fresh vision. He will remove you from your comfort zone. The worm is that thing that comes into your life that eats yesterday's victories, so you'll search for new victories every day. That's what God says. Yesterday was good. That was awesome. But I got I'm new every morning. God will send things in your life to eat the old weed. That, that thing that used to bring you comfort? God says, uh-uh. I'm new today. Christianity, it's a it's it's it's, it's supposed to be exciting. Can I make it can I make a statement to you? You didn't make the vine grow, you can't keep it alive. God has to. I planted. Paulus watered, God made it grow. And then God says, you know what I love about this? He's not worried about the big whiner sitting over the big baby Jonah whose ministry was the shortest in history. He had one crusade and it was over. (laughs) How's that weekend treating you? He did. He had one crusade and it was over. You know what God says to him? I'm thinking about the 120,000 people in the city, Jonah. Would you shut up? Quit your whining. I'm thinking about all the people in this city that don't know me. Well, we're getting lusty with the anointing, which the word anointing in the Old Testament means fat and lusty. Or the word used for Saul means to be tattooed. That's why David couldn't touch, because he could see the anointing on Saul's life. But what you've got to understand is, while we're sitting there and we're just getting fat with the anointing, God says there's people that are going to burn in hell in this city, and yet you keep consuming me with your constant needs. God, do you like me? God, will you bless me? God, will you provide this for me? And God says, what about the lost? I'm not here just to cater to you. I'm not here to make you feel good about being in the ministry. I'm not here to constantly find people to walk up to say great song, great drama, great sermon. But when we get to that place where He has to send a worm, you know that worm was huge! I think I'm a... Jonah's like, and the worm starts going, timber. So the Bible says, and the weed withered. It's a weirdest story. I mean, you almost have to do acid to really get this story. You have to be on drugs to really get it. I mean, this is like something out of uh, uh, Alice in Wonderland. Oh, I'm out of time. I'm late for the meeting. I'm late. Listen. That's the weirdest man. Dude, they were on drugs when they did that. They really were. They said the guys that wrote Alice in Wonderland were on drugs. There's a hole. Let's dive in. Chase the rabbit with the clock. He wanted Jonah to live in the heat, in the sun, S-O-N, not S-U-N. He said, hey. Not comfort zone. We're not called to live in a comfort zone. We're called to go after them. Jonah should have been preaching about the worm. I mean, I'd already wrote a book about the whale. I mean, it would have hit the presses. My Experience in the Belly of a Giant Whale by Patrick H. Shatzlein. The next book would have been part two. My Experience with the Worm. (laughs) The Worm That Ate My Weed. This is crazy, isn't it? It's like something out of Mexico. Watch. It's tequila. And God ends Jonah's life with a question mark. I don't want my ministry to end with a question mark. Galatians six nine. Don't grow weary in well doing. For you're going to, in the proper time, you'll produce a harvest. It's First Peter one verse thirteen. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. That's what it says. First Peter one verse thirteen. Prepare your minds for action. Be self control. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ revealed. As obedient children, don't, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do, for it is written, be holy because I am holy. I don't want my ministry to end in a question mark. Wonder what Pat could have done. Wonder what nations we could have shaken. I want to be secure I'm about done you know what secure people understand you don't need praise you don't mind others receiving praise bring those up each one as I say them number three you don't have to be seen when you're secure I noticed some of you that's what I love about you I noticed some of you came in you sat down and you found a friend you sat by him, and you could care less if anybody knew you were here you know who you remind me of Look at me. You know who remind me of? My wife. Because the first time I saw my wife, the most glorious individual I'd ever seen, she was in youth service. She had just got out of aerobics class. She had on sweatpants. Her hair was pulled back in a ponytail. She came walking over and she sat down by one of her girlfriends in youth service. And I went, I'm going to marry that girl. It was lust at first sight. I'm, I mean, I was just standing straight up. <laughs> Some of y'all are like, I'm going to get married someday. And Lord, I want it to be... Even if they're ugly, I'll marry them if you want it, God. No, 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 no. That's not in the Bible. He says he gives me my desires. Amen. I mean, you need to, Lord, I want them to look hot. Yeah. Some of these people go, Lord, I'll just marry whoever you want. If they weigh 400 pounds, that's fine. And, and Lord, if they sit on me and break my leg, it's okay. And, and Lord, if they don't take baths, it's all right, Lord. because I'll spray them down with a hose. And, no, you need to tell God what you want. But I fell in love with my wife because I saw meekness and gentleness on her before I saw the lion and the roar. I saw this meekness about her, and I'm like, wow. I saw I watched her during worship. I'm like, worshiping like this. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you for your creation. You know what I'm saying? Lord, I praise you for all that. You did good, God. I mean, I don't know how you pulled that off. (laughs) You know what's proof that you're not insecure? You don't have to be heard. Number five, you serve because you enjoy it. You're the first to help and the last to sit. You have an acute sense of others' needs. You can tell when somebody's walking through something. This is when this is proof that you're a secure person. You desire much but will only ask for little. You realize that winning consists of losing sometimes. It means I'll say I'm sorry even if I'm not wrong because to win you have to lose. And number ten, you hold your head up high, your pride down low and your spirit keeps soaring. That's proof of a person that is secure. Definition of security is free from or not exposed to danger. Firm, liable, and safe custody. Free from care or anxiety. Firmly established in relationship. Certain. Secure of victory. Safe from penetration or interception by unauthorized person. Look at this. This is the last line. This is the actual real definition. Safe from penetration or interception. Interception by unauthorized persons. In other words, nobody gets to you because you know who you are. Nobody can interrupt your future. Jonah was pretty insecure. His ministry, his ministry ended in a question mark. You want God to use you at the next level? Become secure. Be the one that can smile think the best of every person when you meet them. Don't automatically get some predispositioned idea of somebody when you see them. In other words, Bill Johnson teaches that when you really honor someone, you believe in them before you know them. Can I tell you this? Secure people are willing to pay the price. It's 2 Corinthians 6.3. We put no stumbling block in anyone's path so that our ministry will not be discredited. Rather, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way in endurance, in troubles, hardships, distresses, beatings, imprisonments, and riots, in hard work, sleepless nights, and hunger, in purity, understanding patience and kindness, in the Holy Spirit, and sincere love. This is a powerful verse, actually. In truthful speech, in the power of God, with weapons of righteousness in the right hand and on the left, through glory and dishonor, bad report and good report, genuine yet regarded as impostors. Paul is saying right there, no matter what I go through, I'm okay. Because I'm in love with Jesus. If Jesus never did anything but save your soul, is it enough to keep you saved? Is that all he's got to do? If he never provided anything else, was the cross enough to hold you? Because... I was the glue that held him to the cross. The nails did not hold him to the cross. I did. And what started started as a selfish act under a tree with Adam and Eve ended with a selfless act on a tree for me. See, what you've got to understand is we serve a God that says, I want to use you so powerfully, but please don't, don't end as a question mark. You know what I think Jonah's biggest problem was? He didn't have a team. He was by himself. Every leader has to have a team. I hope that when you get done speaking on Sunday afternoon or, or, or you get done speaking, whoever gets to, the people walk up and you don't need this, but they just go, thank you for that word. See, whether I like it or not, and I've preached to the world. I've been with the top leaders in the world. But when you said that, that you text that to Pastor Young, that, I needed that. Not to feed my demon of insecurity because I don't battle that. You know what it said to me? It was worth my time missing my wife and my daughter and my son. It was worth the, all the money, all the work to raise to get you here. What I'm trying to say to you is when you come into this group right here, be the ones that look at each other and say, you're beautiful. You're smart. Thank you for taking time out. I know you were in class all day today or at work or whatever you do. When you said you text that to Pastor Young, because he's one of my heroes, I was like, boy, I was ready. Thank you for saying that. Because you can preach to the whole world and you can have a whole city saved, but you can still die with a question mark. I don't want to die with a question mark. You know what? When I get ready to die, you know what I want to do? I want that to be the only thing I have to do. Is just die. Having done everything he told me to do. I don't want to have to fulfill anything. William Booth, my one of my heroes, was so in love with Jesus that he got ready to die. At this point, they're in 120 countries, and the ministry has exploded. His son was going to take it over. But William Booth could care less about all the paperwork to get that ready. So he's laying on his deathbed And his son comes in and he says Dad, General We need you to sign your name on the dotted line Or else the ministry will die with you And he says, oh no son I don't want to write my name What if I die? What What if I die and as I'm dying I write my own name I want the last thing I say to be Jesus No way, I won't do it And he turned over He's dying He's about to die Family's gathered around the bed And they go, he goes, Father, I need you to sign this. The government, the English government, they'll take everything from us if you don't sign your name. And he said, then give it to me. He said, here, Dad, just sign by the X. So William Booth, the great general, greatest youth pastor in history, by the way, raised up the orphans on the streets, sent them out in masses. Signs. Turns over looks at the wall, smiles, and dies. He saw Jesus die. died. They all wept over the great general. They all cried and they're gathered around the bed. And as they walked out in the hallway, his son looked down at the contract. And he smiled. Because where the X is, where he was supposed to write General William Booth, he wrote, Jesus. The last thing he did was say Jesus. I want the last thing I do to say Jesus. I want I want to be the person that would you know I think about Jesus in Mark chapter three it says that the, the Pharisees went about and began to plot against him, but what did his friends what did his disciples do? They got a boat ready for him. Because the Bible says whenever the evil spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, "You're the Son of God. We all know the story. Jesus withdrew with His disciples to the lake and a large crowd from God. Jesus couldn't go anywhere. He was a rock star. He couldn't go anywhere without people bothering Him. That's why He prayed in the lonely places. And by the way, that lonely place I taught the the staff this morning means regions waiting to be shepherded. In other words, Jesus prayed where you're supposed to launch cell ministries. The lonely place is the place where there's supposed to be cells. Get Him a bow. Every leader needs people around Him. Jonah didn't have a team. Every leader feels crowded. Evil spirits know when to approach a leader. Look, they went up they went walking right up to Jesus. Don't allow the ministry to be the head of your family. Here's what I want to say to you. Because some of you are having secret battles. Here. Between the two ears, between the two places where you hear the voice of God, is the place where the enemy gets in. The battlefield of the mind. That's why it says, crucify your mind. Set your mind on things above, Colossians says. My number one thing that I had to speak to you tonight is you're going to have seasons with the whale. Where you'll have disobedience in your life and God will hide you away. You're going to have the seasons with the weed where God puts comfort around you and protection. You're going to have the season where the worm comes in and eats the thing that you thought you built. But whatever you do, you better remember. When you're sitting and looking in the mirror and God is looking out windows because He says, the very last thing that Jonah He could say to him is, Am I not worried? About the city. I don't want my ministry to end with a question mark. Amen. I don't want to be a question mark. I want to be an exclamation point. He preached to nations and he loved Jesus and loved his family and he died. Exclamation. Point. Not wonder what Pat could have been oh my God don't let me become a question mark and I don't want you to become a question mark I want you to die with an exclamation point amen stand up come gather across the front How many be a little bit tired tonight raise your hand yeah there's can i tell you i think in ministry we feel guilty when we get tired no that's god saying go rest it's the re- it's the yellow light before the red light slow down my wife said to me last night on the phone she said when you get home i just want you to rest she said you have gone nonstop i've preached By the end of this weekend, I will have preached literally something like 25 times in two weeks. Kind of stupid, huh? Not real smart. But can I tell you something? We need you. We need you. I stood at your desk today, and you don't even know it, but I put my hand on it, and I said, "God." Because you are so anointed. you have the gift of encouragement, Gary. Here is what I want to speak to you before we go tonight. We need you. It's your birthday. We need you. I can't believe you'd spend your 16th birthday with us. I'm serious. Thank you. Whatever you want on my table is yours for your birthday. Okay? They'll give you one of everything. Okay? Can I bless you tonight? You'll let me, right? If you're my daughter, my daughter's like, yeah, what else you got? I mean, that's why Abby's like, you got some more? You got some money in that box? Lord have mercy. I'm in trouble with that little girl. She's always like, Daddy will buy it for me. And I'm like, yeah, I will. (laughs) Nate's like, Dad, can I borrow something? No, no, go get a job, Nate. (laughs) I was going to take time and begin to prophesy over you, but the Lord told me to do something that I had never done. I want you to lift your hands. And I want you to ask God to show you where the worm was in your life that came and took your comfort zone from you. that thing that happened to you that rocked your world it was a worm and god said you didn't make it happen you can't make it stop you didn't make it grow you can't make it not grow it's the number one line for ministry you didn't make the vine grow you can't make it die but you want you've got to say this lift your hands and say lord i've been in the whale. i've been disobedient at times Father. I've had weeds in my life. Vines that you've grown up. I've had worms. That have come and eaten my comfort zone. But here's the big question. Now watch, here you go. But say, Lord. I don't want to end with a question mark. Here comes the Spirit. Here comes the Spirit. He's going to show you areas in your life that you've got to clean out so that you don't end. For Jonah, it was insecurity and pride and even racism. He did not like the the Ninevites because the Bible says they were such heathens that they knew not their right hand from their left hand. In other words... Back in those days, when they went to the restroom, they used one hand to eat with and one hand to to clean themselves up with. And they they were so confused because of their debauchery, they, they couldn't remember what hand was unclean. So I want you to ask God, what is the question mark in my life? Say this out loud. Change my question mark to an exclamation point. Now lift your hands and say, Lord, make me concerned about this city. Crush me with a burden right now.